what's up everybody? This is The Legendary Tales. I'm your host, Isadora, and I am with my co-host, Adam Bloor. Hey guys. Y'all. Y'all. Folks. Folks. Peoples. Hey folks. Yes. Gender neutral. Yeah, gender neutral peoples. Gender neutral peoples. And today we are going to talk about legends from something we would, a country that we would never normally know anything about or... Yes. Cover. Yes. Right? Is that fair? Yeah. Well, I think we, yes. How do we phrase it? From a country that we, well, of a, from a country or region that we haven't already done yeah. something about, which I think I broached the rules on that because I'm pretty sure the Dominican Republic is technically part of the same area that Jamaica is. Yeah, but it's definitely its own. It's a different thing. It's yeah. like, it's it's obviously it's its own country with its, with its own unique culture okay. and everything. But so you're doing yours was drastic. Yeah, yours yeah, is drastically mine's different. Very different. But you're doing Dominican Republic. Yes. Cool. And I'm going to start with a reading. Go I have for a, it. I have a lot of reading in this. In this. In this. I one. got a lot of Bible in mind, so you know. I've got some Bible in mind as well. Sweet. Um, I will say that most of my information came from an article called La Ciguapa, the mythical being in Dominican folklore, from DominicanCult.blogspot.com, and it was super well written and informative. With not the catchiest. Uh, no, not the catchiest URL, um, but probably a free domain. So go you. Yeah, go read that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a, a reading from there. Those that survive have described a stillness in the area, as if birds, insects, and land animals have been frightened away, followed by soft whispers and howls that flowed with the gentle breeze and echoed through the canopies. The calling draws you in from all around until the creature finally reveals itself, a fair maiden standing no higher than a meter, but with a harmony in all its muscles and limbs. Large, dark, and enchanting almond-shaped eyes. Hair, black as midnight, but with a luster that glows with the moonlight. Thick and long, and draped on her body to ankle length. Mm. So that's La Ciguapa. And La Ciguapa is the most famous sort of Dominican bedside story. The sort of okay. story you tell your kids when you don't want them to go into the woods or something. Well, she sounds attractive. She is, um, or she's not. Depending okay. on some variations in the story, right. and she's sort of a succubus, okay. siren, mermaid yep. type rolled all together, with uncertain origins. But she's an, an immensely popular, like the most well-known story from the Dominican Republic. And I'm going to use the word she. La Ciguapa can also be men. Okay, I've literally never heard of. I so had, this is a cool one. I had never heard of it either. But when we get into sort of some regional var uh, variations, yeah. you you will begin to see similarities between okay. stuff that you already know about. Okay. Because that's how all of this stuff works. It does. If there's one thing that ties all people together, it's the fact that our folklore comes from the same place, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, as you said, she sounds very attractive, and she generally is. Um, okay. Depending on which story you read, when you see her, you are either heavily attracted to her or she's the most horrifying thing you've ever seen. Uh, people feel the same way about me. <laughs> They're highly nocturnal. They stalk their prey at night and do not speak human tongue. That was one of the characteristics I found was that they generally chirp like birds. Okay. And the stories where they're found to be very attractive. Chirp like birds? Where they're very attractive, they chirp like birds. And in the stories where they're not the attractive succubus, they howl like wild animals. So, again, just depending on which okay. story you read, I think it just – it just ties in. Although it would be scarier for me if something hunting me down and was evil and horrifying to look like, look at, chirped like a little bird, because that would just, that sort of 
gives me the sense of like a false sense of safety. Yeah. Out of interest, is the is it the same beast that's perceived differently by different people, or is it like is it like who you are looking at it? That's I how you perceive. Think it? it's. I think it depends on the person. Dictates what you see. I okay. think I had. I didn't see if it was technically two different monsters that yeah. just fall under the same okay. name because that all of the other characteristics are the same okay. like the beautiful hair the sort of you know yeah and people do use like horrifying beauty as an that is an expression that people use in folklore and mythology i think it's in game of thrones as well it's sort Wait, of, i'm gonna remember that the next time someone calls me horrifying <laughs> i'm a horrifying beauty i'm a horrifying beauty. it's sort of like they're the beauty is horrifying because it's so un like it's un, un an unnatural beauty. Okay. So I think it all just sort of ties together. Like the reading I did, she has long black hair. It hangs like a curtain. She yeah. is generally portrayed as being nude. They're all nude. They just wear their hair like a, like clothes. Okay. On the the this is the unsettling bit. This is sort of where the folklore kind of comes because otherwise you're just talking about a yeah. beautiful person with long beautiful hair <laughs> in a in a. In a wood. And then in some woods. Um, her feet are backwards. Oh, that's pretty- like hinged on the on the ankle and rotated 180 feet. That is actually as a small detail. Very unsettling. Very unsettling. So so as I was like doing this research and the, the blog spot article that I was reading had several paintings and statues and stuff. Great. You'll check them out on our cover art when it comes out. Well, they are naked, so I don't want to get us hard banned on Instagram. So we'll figure out a way around that. Okay. But you you do have these paintings of very beautiful and like as you're scrolling down to get to like the next picture or the next bit of text that uncovers the feet so you're like oh this is a very attractive person and then like something about seeing someone's feet being no i can totally yeah feel it. i can you totally can totally like, buy that you can that like would be horrible feel it itching in your ankles yeah the i i guess the purpose of this is to yes make them unsettling but it also makes them harder to track not that you would really want to do that anyway because you wouldn't know which direction they were walking it would look like they were walking backwards so they still walk forwards but their feet are facing the other direction okay and this is a common feature in other other bits of folklore so that so in hindu culture the boots and the churel yeah are ghosts that can only be identified by their backwards feet oh okay so it's not exclusive to the dominican republic this feature of yeah having backwards feet they tend to dwell in the mountainous forest regions of the Dominican Republic, and they sort of try to lure lonely and lost men into their caves. When it okay, again, so that's very sirony. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and this is as well. Their goal is to enslave them, either to eat them or, as I I, I read in that article, <laughs> to fulfill their carnal desires. So you know. Okay, so take that as you will. <laughs> Again, <laughs> very, not, very that siren-y. might not be the most complain worthy. No, 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 no. I mean, the eat, being eaten thing probably wouldn't be great. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, I think it's sort of like the relationship praying mantises have where yeah. they make the babies and then the women rip the men's head off and eat them for the sustenance afterward. It's sort of a bit like that is what it sounds like. Yeah. Okay. But uh, another story says that sometimes they just want to be left alone. Okay. They just they live in the woods. Um and they simply feed on birds, fruit, and small animals. Um, the, ide- the idea in that version of the story is that they're a descendant of a race of small people from the great Greater Antilles area. There was some tribe of very short, because they are described as... Oh, I was going to say, are they described as short? They're, they're, 
Okay. They're either described as being short or tall, <laughs> but when they're described as being short, there was a tribe of okay. short people uh, in the greater Antilles area, and they just want to be left alone. Um, the first written instance of Siguapa yeah. was in 1860, 1860 from Francisco Javier Angulo Garidi, and he was a Dominican journalist, and he opened a news publication in 1860, and then in 1866 was publishing stories about La Ciguapa. I'm assuming that there was the oral history. The oral history, it, the oral history it probably dates back to the 15th century. Okay, it wasn't just made up by this guy. No, uh, but this was the first written instance, okay. and I'm going to read that that instance. It is said that since before the discovery, oh, right, sorry. And so Francisco was the guy who says, like, this is the short, this is the tribe of the short people from Greater Antilles. Antille, I believe is how it would be pronounced in Spanish. It is said that since before the discovery of this island, there exists a race whose residents have always been in the heart of these mountains, but it is preserved in all its purity, sleeping in the crown of cedars and feeding on river fish, birds, and fruit, the ciguapa which is the name by which it is known, is a creature that only rises a rod in height, though it should not be believed that in its proportions there is the deformity of the so-called dwarves in Europe and America. Far from it. There is an exact harmony in all her muscles and limbs, a wonderful beauty in her face, and an agility in her movements so full of spontaneity and grace that she leaves the one who sees her absorbed. She has the bronze skin of the true Indian, the black and slanted eyes, the soft, luscious, and abundant hair that rolls down the back of female to her very calf. The Siguapa has no other language than the howl and runs like a hare through the mountains or leaps like a bird through the branches of the trees as soon as it, as soon as it is discovers another being other than its race because she is extremely shy and harmless at the same time. In general, she has attributed a sensitivity without example, and it is added that having captured it sometimes through open traps in the forest, she has been seen to die within a few hours from the pain, drowned in her own crying, but without exhaling a single complaint, let alone revealing indignation hmm, that's sad yeah and that obviously paints a much different picture than yeah the the horrible siren who takes you to a cave and has sex with you until she decides to eat you much also much more believable yes and i there are still tribes that oh yeah yeah, yeah that people aren't that yeah quote unquote civilized culture is unaware yeah. of uh yeah it is a very interesting and believable sort yeah. of thing isn't it it's not not really the person with the background feet and the no, and he doesn't mention the the backward feet in this in this bit of writing. Yeah. Um, so that is the an introduction to us the story he wrote, just mm -hmm. simply titled La Ciguapa. and the story goes on from that, and it's about a couple who are in love, and okay. they they go down to a river, and there's and the woman is seen by a male ciguapa in the woods, and the okay. the husband the man and the woman are unaware that they're seen by this creature. Okay. And three days later, the woman dies, just unexpectedly dies. Okay. And so the idea in this story is that the Siguapa is consumed by jealousy because he sees this beautiful right. woman and he, like, can't have her. Right. So both the Siguapa and the person upon whom it spies die three days, three days afterward because they're both just consumed by the Siguapa's jealousy. Which that is, seems a little far-fetched. Well, yes. I, yes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's, it is a story. Is it written by the same guy that described them as a tribe? Yes. So this is where he turns in it from. This is where the the sort of folklore. It comes from being a fairly believable yeah. thing into yes, legendary. Yes, exactly. Legendary. And so the the his final quote here yeah. um, from that article 
says her jealousy ends with death. When it is the female Siguapa that surprises such, the male lover dies at the same time as the Siguapa. When it is a male Siguapa, the female lover dies, as did my poor Marcelina. Hmm. So it's sort of an interesting. Okay. That's sort of where you get this. You start getting the crossover of, I mean, obviously we have jealous spirits yeah. frequently in American folklore. We have people who, we have ghosts that like specifically exist because they yeah. were like spurned by their lovers in a past life. So yeah. it's a bit, I mean, it's a bit different because it's a bit more emotionally like grabbing that I feel than the ghost who is spurned by their lover. It seems this sort of like first person. Well, it's, it's so much more like there's like a yearning. Yeah. That they can't have this person that they die, which is very almost like Shakespearean, very Victorian. Yeah. Um, when was this? 1800s? This would have this was written in 1860. And I do think it actually said in the article that he was like sort of inspired by Shakespeare's okay. writings. So Cause it, sa- it sounds like a. Yes. It could almost be a play. like well, a Shakespearean Well, and the name Marcelina is very like European. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe it's okay. maybe, maybe he just had read Romeo and Juliet recently and was feeling a little bit a little bit heart sad. Yeah. So we'll go into her origins a little bit. Catholicism was sort of introduced to the Dominican Republic in the late 15th century. So there's an idea that there might be some biblical attribution to her origin. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Lilith. I love Lilith. Who doesn't show up in the Christian Bible, but is very prominent, obviously, in, in Judaism. Yeah. And we do, we do like our Lilith. I, Lilith is a very interesting character um, because if you don't know about Lilith, she was meant to be Adam's first wife, or was Adam's first wife. Yes. Uh, she was created from the earth and therefore was made his equal. Yes. And, and women were created equal. And she says, we are equal to each other in so much as we were both created from the earth. And this comes from an Aramaic proverb called the alphabet of Sirach, I believe okay. is how it's pronounced. Not Sirach the liquor. It might even be pronounced Sirach. I don't know. Like uh, the hot sauce. <laughs> Sriracha. And she flees to find her independence because she's she feels that she is being dominated by by Adam and they're not yeah. living as equals and she's found by three angels and she's just having like hundreds of babies in a cave it's really it's a really strange i don't know if it's a metaphor for something but she's she's just having like hundreds okay. of babies a day i don't i wish i okay. could explain it to you but i can't the torah is weird okay and so her punishment for leaving is that she will lose her her she will her punishment for leaving is the angels will kill 100 of her babies a day. It's really strange, okay. but it's like, they're like, you left. So we're now, we're mad at you now. Yeah. She does try to go back to the garden to be okay. with Adam, but she finds that God has already made him another mate. She gets super angry um, because I, I'm a combination of, well, he was my husband, and now, like, I, I can't get any forgiveness for, like, I just yeah. wanted to be equal. Like, why? What, what is my punishment now you're gonna here? you're going to make him another woman out of his ribs, so she's always, like. So she's his subservient. Yeah. Uh, so she leaves and, and and is very angry at this point, obviously. And this is where she sort of gets the moniker of the mother of all demons. Yeah. She herself isn't a demon, but she creates demons out of her, from her anger. By the hundreds in a cave. By the hundreds, yes. Um, And that is also for re- the revenge of the death of, you know, the children that she lost. Okay. There are regional variants of La Ciguapa. We have La Siona from Venezuela and La Llorona, which I think is a name you might re- recognize. Okay. And that's sort of a legend that came with the conquistadors into All right. uh, South America, I believe. Um, but she's the child drowner. So she is the she's the American woman in white. Oh, okay. She is the the 
the wife who is married and the husband doesn't love her, but loves their children. And so yeah. she drowns their children and then is a ghost who yeah. roams the, the side of the road and don't pick her up if you see her. Cause she'll take you to your, to her Someday old house and kill we may you. Do the woman in white. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah. It's interesting though. Cause you sort of get this, like, again, you get like the spurned. It's interesting that in the, in like the, like Europe and America where these, this folklore sort yeah. of changes to be like the spurned woman instead of being like this sort of like siren call. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting like juxtaposition, but these two regents, uh, these two variants haunt and they hunt down adulterers as well. They're sort of based more around the jealousy and vengeance thing instead of sort of the yearning. Okay. And they're, uh, they're shape changers. Uh, this is another sort of similarity. They they sort of they're the giggly, long haired, beautiful women. Yeah. That's always how they're portrayed. Yeah. And uh, the difference, though, is that La Llorona. It said that in one bit of the folklore about La La Llorona. Okay. Was that you would come up to this woman from you'd see her from behind, and she'd be wearing a long white robe, and she'd have her long dark hair that goes down to her feet, and then she'd turn around and she'd have a horse head. Oh. Which is sort of horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very. I scary. can't even. I, I can't even picture it. No, because a horse's head is so big. <laughs> I can't even picture that particular. <laughs> it's kind of spooky. Okay. Um, yeah, and this is just sort of like this is succubi stories about succubi are not uncommon. No. In in any culture, but that doesn't make this like any less unique. There are, are a lot of things about it that are very interesting, like specifically that. Specifically the idea that I'm going to go, I, I know I've harped on this a little bit, but okay. the, the idea that like when you hear about the sirens in the Odyssey or like mermaids, because I, I believe that those are directly linked together. Okay. Their goal is to like crash the ship upon the rocks. Yeah. It's like their goal is to either murder these people or to take them for He's some. He's on your Disney mermaid. No, or to take them for some sort of like, like, like sex slavery. Your Harry Potter mermaids. Yes. But I really liked I really liked the story that Frances Francisco wrote about this sort of like this person that you see who you can't have, who yeah. you love so deeply that you both die. Because it is very Shakespearean and it's sort of levels of tragedy. Yeah, and it's I sort mean, of it's sort of beautiful and like yeah. it, it makes you feel a bit more than just sort of like evil, evil mermaids yeah. killing sailors. And it, so that do they still write about it and talk about it and see it today? So that article that I wrote was written in one you wrote the, the article that I read. Sorry. Yeah. Don't take credit for other uh, people's work. You the, get in real trouble. The article today. that I read was written very recently. I think it was written yeah. in like June of this year. Oh, okay. Um, so I think it still has this very important cultural story, whether or not it's, I'm sure that like now in the, in the 20th century, it's not like as readily believed as yeah. it would have been in the 15th or 16th century, yeah. but it is still like very important to Dominican culture. Cool. Yeah. I don't even really know where the Dominican Republic so, is in relation to stuff. And isn't it got something to do with the states? Like, hasn't it got a reciprocal arrangement with the states? Uh, so Dominican, the Dominican Sorry. Republic and Haiti okay, share yeah. an island. Okay. And it's split down the middle. Okay. I believe. Let me check that really quickly before someone absolutely lacerates me on the internet. But I believe that's the case. Yes, it is the case. Because I'm, okay. I'm actually a genius. It's a Caribbean nation, which is why... Like I was a bit worried because I think we've already done a Caribbean legend on here, haven't we? Well, I did the duppies in Jamaica. Yes, yeah. So technically, I guess, but it's right next to Puerto Rico, which is a which is an American colony. Okay, so 
Um, I don't, the Dominican Republic isn't an American okay. colony. I don't believe. Um, but they are like in proximity, like a boat ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it shares the island with Haiti and they've had a bit of a tough time. Cause it's, I think it was like two different tribes. But I don't really, I'm not an expert on that. So I don't really want to talk too, too heavily about yeah. it. Um, but yeah. Um, well, yeah. actually let's see what it has to do with. If it has anything to do with the States quickly. Okay. But it's, so the thing that's interesting about the Dominican Republic, I'm pretty sure is that it it's a lot of all inclusive hotels. Yes. But it's, it's like constantly been under different, like people's rule. People okay. are like, we're like constantly trying to conquer the island. Okay. Like the French had it for a while. And then the, the Spanish have had it. Yeah. I think, I think the English were, I mean, the English were probably there because they conquered every other island that they could find. Yeah. Back when colonialism was their favorite thing, uh, the, the thing we did the, for all summers, the English pastime. Like Americans have baseball, the English have colonialism. Yeah, yeah, we're slowly letting go of it. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, La Ciguapa, and I was not expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. But it's pretty cool. But I can't it, wait to see the images. I was trying to, I yeah, realized yeah. I can't spell it at all, so um, I tried I'll, to Google it and try to look for some images. But uh, we, I will put one in. I'll have to do one for the cover art. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll let you know how to spell it once the podcast is over and we get the. For those that aren't following us on Instagram, the cover art is proving to be really popular and it's looking. Oh, really cool. it's really, it's like, yeah, it's really good. We've done a a rebrand and Dora yep. is, is doing a really good job. And, uh, yeah. And if you don't follow us on Instagram, go follow us on Instagram and tell us what you think. And all at the, the legendary tales pod, the truth yep. of legends at the legendary tales podcast at Instagram at gmail.com <laughs> and the legendary tales on Instagram, on Instagram. Yep. That's with an at. Yeah. At the legendary at tales. The legendary tales. Um, cool. We are not doing two parts this week. No, we are going to roll straight into the I'm second I'm glad one. we did it for one week. And we did it for two weeks. Did we? And we may go back to it again. But we're only about 20 minutes in right now. Oh, okay. So I think we both felt that because we picked countries and things that were less well-known and less written about, yeah. that actually there's just less information. Mm-hmm. So this is not going to be one of our super, you know, I think the two episodes last week would have equaled about an hour and a half worth of listening. Yeah. So this is a commutable episode. This is a commutable episode. So we're not going to split it. So you're going to run straight into what I'm talking about. Cool. Which is Yemen. All right. Kind of. Kind of Yemen. Well, okay. So I, I was watching Friends and in one of the episodes of Friends, John LeBing tells Janice he's moving to Yemen so that she thinks they've broken up. And it's just like a joke about Yemen. Yeah. And I realized I know nothing about Yemen. I think it's actually more of a joke about how Chandler being is a terrible person. Yeah. And all the characters and friends are terrible people. Oh, that's that's <laughs> harsh. So I decided to look into Yemen. Okay. Which led me down the route of looking into the Queen of Sheba. Okay. So I'm gonna do I'm gonna tell you about kind of Queen of Sheba and ancient Queen of Sheba. And then I'm going to tell you a bit about Yemen because Yemen itself is an interesting country. Okay. Okay. I don't know anything about Yemen. No, I don't think any. I don't even know where Yemen is. I will tell you all of these things. Oh, perfect. It's very exciting. You're going to learn. Okay. So my sources were an article called 20 Things You Need to Know About Yemen. Great. By Brian Whitaker from The Guardian. So like not a BuzzFeed 20 things. Yeah. yeah. Top 20 things to do while you're in Yemen. Like a real 20 things. (laughs) Uh, An article by Stanley Stewart from the National Geographic. Okay. Some Mm. stuff from BBC History. Mm -hmm. And then Wikipedia. As always. So I'm going to start off with a Bible quote. (sighs) 
And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bore spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him all that was in her heart. And the king Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. I'm going to get into the story of the Queen of Sheba, but what basically is important to take away from that particular quote is that this entire thing has got to do with Solomon, King Solomon in the Bible. Um, and that she was a very, very wealthy queen. Mm -hmm. She came and showed up. I mean, in the time of the Bible where people were showing up with spices, frankincense, myrrh, and gold on a fairly regular basis. And camels. And camels. She showed up with a retinue big enough that legitimately dozens of religions have mentioned how wealthy she okay. is. Okay. So what's also important is that she had, they actually in different different versions of that. That was from Kings 10. Um, different versions actually specify which things she brought with her. So that can help narrow down which country she may have come from. Okay. Or where, which region she may have come from, because only a few of those places actually had all the different things that she would have brought. So what it would have come down to is Somalia and Ethiopia in the Horn of Africa, or Oman and Yemen in the Southern Arabia Peninsula. Okay. I'm going to go down the Yemen route, mm -hmm. because actually I started, there's a little Ethiopia in here towards the end, but yeah. Ethiopia is a really interesting country with a really interesting history. Mm -hmm. So if we do this again, yeah. I might do Ethiopia. So I didn't okay. want to kind of... Yeah. What, how, are there like drastic differences between the two? Yemen. Okay. So I mean, not, much, not in terms of the, the countries are obviously drastically. I mean, the, the countries the, are drastically different, but you mean from the point of view yeah, of the legend of yeah, Queen of yeah, Sheba? Yeah. yeah. Virtually all modern scholars agree that Sheba that was written about in the Bible was from Yemen. Yemen. Okay. Um, but, but Ethiopia's oral history of the Queen of Sheba mm -hmm. is much more involved and much more in depth. Okay. So I'm going down kind of the, the, realer version mm -hmm. but also ethiopia's existence and legend tellings and all the rest of it is really really cool mm -hmm. so um there's basically two different the, the confusion comes from the fact that there is two different parts called chiba which is actually seba or seba and there are two different countries now that are kind of one in Ethiopia and one in Yemen mm -hmm. that both could go back to this idea. And in the Bible, Yemenites, Sabians, and African Sabians are spelt the same way. Okay. There is a later translation that does, in fact, split them up and call the kings of Sheba and then Seba offer gifts. Okay. So they are two distinct tribes okay but they just happen to have from two distinct regions they just happen to have the same name gotcha most people agree that sheba was in the uh southern arabian kingdom of saba centered around the oasis of maraba in present-day yemen it was quite well known in the classical world this is not like a mysterious town in the sense of it was written about by a lot of different people. Some people called it the Arabia Felix. 
And it was just very famous for being next to this oasis. So it was full of yeah. rich vegetation mm-hmm. and it was it was a rich country. And I'm going to go into a little bit about this city because they've started doing a lot more excavation on it. And I will say that I read stuff that said they started doing a lot more excavation of it in 1999 mm. and i found very little like current information about it okay as to where they got to with it but they built great irrigation works such as the mirabad dam <laughs> and the ruins of that are still visible they had a flourishing culture that lasted for more than a thousand years they built castles and temples uh notably ones called awama and baron temples and they were known for dealing in the very lucrative things of frankincense and myrrh. Okay. So there's also some theories about the fact that the three kings who visited Jesus, Jesus, one of them would have, at least one of them probably came from the same Sheba, area. Saber okay. area. They were a seafaring people, and they were known to have influence in a population in the northeastern Afri- African kingdom of Demit in the Red Sea, Abyssinia, and that's the only other place that had sources of frankincense and myrrh. Okay. So those, there's a lot of tie-ins between Yemen and that kind of African version of Ethiopia. Uh-huh. Like I said, I will get into actually telling you where Yemen is mm-hmm. when we get to kind of more modern-day Yemen. So in 25 BC, Aleus Gallus of Rome actually led an expedition there to try and lay siege to the city, he suffered major losses and had to retreat back to Egypt. They were a really powerful place. And in the 20th century, it started to get abandoned. There are still large parts of the village and stuff remaining. And actually, there is now a modern city, which is located about two and a half miles away from the center of the ancient city. Mm-hmm. But And it has about 16,000 people there. So this is where, in theory, the Queen of Sheba came from. All right. However, pretty much no one's been able to find any evidence of Sheba herself. Okay. The queen of Sheba herself. There's a lot of evidence of kings coming from there. It was its own kingdom. And as we've talked about a lot, uh, ancient cultures had very little problem with the concept of kings versus queens. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was not necessarily something they cared about. Yeah. Who was in charge? Uh, what sex the person was yeah. in charge? Um, so undoubtedly at some point there was a queen there. Mm-hmm. But whether this is the queen that I'm about to tell you about in the tales is a whole different ballgame. So I love this quote from, I think it was the National Geographic article that I read, which was, the queen of Sheba is the Greta, Greta Garbo of antiquity, a glamorous, mysterious figure immortalized in the Bible and the Quran celebrated in an ornatio by Handel, some form of music by Handel, an opera, a ballet, depicted in paintings by Raphael. She remains tantalizingly elusive to the inquiries of historians. Across across swaths of modern-day North Africa, her legend lives on, despite or perhaps because of the fact that no one's for sure if she existed or if she did where she lived. Oh. So he... This writer, actually, the one from National Geographic, Stanley Stewart, actually goes very much down the Ethiopia route. Mm -hmm. And 
his writing and his article definitely made me want to go down yeah. the Ethiopia route. It yeah. was really, really well written and very mysterious. And But generally she's appeared in, I mean, obviously the Hebrew Bible, the Bible itself, the Quran, but she's also appeared in Turkish and Persian paintings. Uh, she's mentioned in the Kabbalah. She is uh, used in medieval Christian works. She is viewed as the embodiment of divine wisdom and a foreteller of the cult of the Holy Cross. And 3,000 years later, people are still telling her story mm -hmm. on a fairly regular basis. So what was her story? I'm going to give you what I took away as her story. Okay. <laughs> because I'm not going to read you the Christian version, which um, I'm not going to read you. I'm not going to read you any one version. I'm going to kind of give you the amalgamation amalgamation and i'm sorry to all the religions where this is really important part of your story and the whatever the religion the story is that your religion has written down I, I, i'm just kind of give you what i took away from it okay okay i'm fine um also while you're imagining this uh she is in theory supposed oh is was most likely black yeah um there's a passage in song of songs which they've translated it to, I am very dark, but calmly. And actually in a new revised standard edition um, in 1989, they did translate it to, I am black and beautiful. Okay. So there's not many people in the Bible where their race is explicitly stated. Explicitly stated. Um, and, but I just thought that that was really interesting that she is one of those hmm. to that. And also, oh, real quick, on a massive, ta not massive tangent. Have you ever heard of the Copts? Try again. The Copts, C-O-P-T-S. Mm -mm. So apparently she is a really popular legend among the Copts. And one of the earliest preservations of her tale is from them um, called the Berlin Papyrus. And I didn't know anything about them. And I, I know quite a lot about ancient religions. I try and read in a past life. I wrote a script to do with the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So I know a little bit about older religions. Mm -hmm. And this is one I'd never heard of. So I kind of just went down a real quick route on it. They are a group indigenous to North Africa, um, and they primarily inhabit modern Egypt. They are the largest Christian denomination in the country of Egypt. They're also the largest Christian denomination in Sudan and Libya, which is why, by the way, giving Adam's face, which is why you absolutely should know who they are, <sighs> yeah. because in countries that are historically so divided by religion, mm -hmm. this is the largest. Yeah, Christian sect. Christian sect. They, they form up to five to 20% of the population. Wow. Uh, just kind of crazy that I'd never heard of them. Um, they speak, uh, it's called the Coptic language a direct descendant of the Demotic Egyptian that was speak, spoken in later antiquity. Um, and generally in Egypt, they have a higher level of educational attainment, relatively higher wealth index, and a stronger representation in white collar jobs. But they have limited representation in government insecurities. Not kind of, I guess, surprising due to the fact that the governments there tend to be Muslim. They pride themselves on being one of the most unbroken chains of Christianity. Okay. Um, so that's who they are. And 
guys commit that to memory because I feel like that that is something that should be known as a language. Um, physically, obviously, they they don't look any different. They're not a different race. It's just yeah, a very strong religious and ancient religious thing. All right, here we go. So, Queen of Sheba. Apparently, Solomon was given the ability to talk with birds by God. And one day he noticed that the lapwing bird was missing. And when the bird returned, she explained to him that he she had flown over this country called Saba. Uh, by the way, the Queen of Sheba is like not mentioned as a thing in the original text. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Saba, which was ruled over by a queen who was immensely rich and sat on a throne made of gold and silver. Solomon wanted to know who this queen was and invited her to visit. Now, the queen was at this point what is called a sun worshipper. So she was not Christian. Mm-hmm. She believed in the old gods and she came from the utmost parts of the earth. So really they, the furthest that they would ever think of civilization as going. Okay. So they hadn't discovered beyond where she lived. The crown said, I found there, and this is, I I guess, the bird talking. I didn't go down (laughs) route too far. I found there a woman ruling them, and she has been given all things, and she has a great throne. I found her and her people prostrating to the sun instead of Allah, and Satan had made their deeds pleasing to them and averted them from his way, so they are not guided. Hmm. So... Again, I'm sorry to the religions, but I'm taking it that they were basically saying because she worshipped the sun, she was a devil worshipper, yeah. which is why she'd been given all these great gifts down in the ends of the earth, mm-hmm. which is what they thought, basically. So Solomon invited the queen to come visit him. And at this point, he thought she was the only kingdom on earth not subject to him. Yeah. Like Basically, everyone else had already come and prostrated themselves at Solomon's feet. She set upon. She thereupon sent him all the ships of the sea loaded with precious gifts, 6,000 youths of equal size, all born at the same hour and clothed in purple garments. Youths? Okay, so I don't know. This is, uh, that particular thing comes from the Tugum Shini to Esther in the Colloquial of the Queen of Sheba from an Orthodox church. Okay. But yeah, she sent 6,000 children, all born at the same hour and clothed in purple garments on a ship to him. And they carried a letter declaring that she would arrive in Jerusalem within three years, although the journey would normally take seven years. When the queen arrived and came to Solomon's palace, she this is like one thing that came, I guess, across in most of these religious things. She thought that his glass floor was a pool of water. So she lifted the hem of her dress, uncovering her legs, which apparently was a big Mm no-no, particularly since, as many of them comment, her legs were hairy. Oh, no. And Solomon informed her of her mistake and reprimanded her for her hairy legs. (laughs) And uh, in some versions of this, by the way, she also has goat legs or goat hooves. Okay. So, again, I'm not sure if that comes to the Satan devil Probably thing. And she says, yep, no, I was totally wrong. My mistake. I don't believe in the sun God anymore. Your God is right. (sighs) And she converts. Solomon takes her under his wing and he teaches her about Judaism or 
whatever it was he was teaching her at that point. Yeah. Kind of depending on the Bible, obviously, is what Did, he was teaching her. It, okay, so I'm um, just quickly. Yeah. So in the story, it would take seven years to take a boat from Yemen to Jerusalem. Yes. They know it's on the same continent, right? They could just walk. I don't know. <laughs> she was a sea. Well, we're going to get to Yemen. Yemen has a lot of coast, but it was a sea. She was a seafaring nation. So, so they would have taken a boat. I don't know. That requires going all the way around, either all the way around Africa mm -hmm. and then back up to the top of the same continent that you were already on or to go all the way around Asia, which would, I'm, I'm assuming would take seven years forever. But like, I mean, look, I mean, look at this. Yeah. I, no, I understand that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> those those and also the earlier that she arrived with a whole load of camels. So it made it, true. they call it a train of camels, which would have gone. Across the, would the have land. Gone across the land. Yeah. So uh, it's written in multiple different historic religious mm -hmm. texts. And obviously those are written in a lot of places in archaic languages. So as it's been translated, it's been translated a load of different ways. Yeah, obviously. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, her <laughs> and her hairy legs. Um, her goat, her goat hooves. Well, yeah. Some just call them hairy legs and others actually refer to them. Like there were other stories that referred to them legitimately as like mm -hmm. goat hooves. Yeah. And she, uh, yeah, she converted her religion. Solomon then I think as a reward impregnated her. Wow. What a reward. Have a baby. Or married her. Okay. Or married her off to someone else, depending on which story you read. Okay. Then sent her back to. Yemen. Yemen or Ethiopia, depending on which story you read, where she actually then populated the country with children of Solomon. Christians. So it's an allegory. Yes, obviously. Like, there's... There was probably a conversion of some king or queen, queen and then sent them back and then they converted, converted their, their population. Or several queens. Yeah. I mean... There's nothing to say that a queen didn't come from Ethiopia and a queen didn't come from like, Yemen. I, it's such a, I don't want to say silly. It's so interesting that like the allegory of conversion to, because obviously they would use a queen to represent a country. Yeah. Because women are generally in those allegories or metaphors. The country is, yeah. it's like the mother. Yes. <laughs> like the, the the King Solomon got a country pregnant and then <laughs> all of the country's babies were Christians after yeah. that. And the whole world was saved. There, I, some of the details in it are really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, I love the image of this great queen thinking that she's going to walk across a pool of water in a... And it's glass. And it's glass. Yeah. Like, there's some really interesting imagery there. Yeah. And detail. Yes. Like... Like, sort of too specific to be made up. Yeah, mm -hmm. kind of. Yeah. Um, but there's and, no evidence that she ever existed? No, no evidence really at all that she ever interesting. existed. Interesting. So, she... But, yeah... No evidence really at hmm. all that she ever existed. I read one thing that said her started her conversion started a dynasty of sixty queens. Okay, a line of basically female rulers. Yeah, but I couldn't find much more about that. Like in, Ye thing. in Yemen or Ethiopia, I think that was the Ethiopian side okay. of it that went down that route. We'll have to do another episode, a sort yeah. of revision episode. Because I will say that I I thought there was going to be a lot more information on the Queen of Sheba. Yeah. It is a story, and it's a good story, but the, there's not actually any depth. A, a ton of information. So I'm now going to tell you about Yemen. Um, in ancient times, Yemen was known as Arabia Felix. We kind of talked about that, which tr is Latin for happy or fortunate. 
because it was considered a very yeah wealthy wealthy um peaceful country not so much anymore unfortunately it is officially now the republic of yemen it's a country at the southern end of the arabian peninsula in western asia it is the second largest arab sovereign state in the peninsula occupying 5228 say square kilometers and the coastline is about 2000 kilometers which makes it a very large part of coastline mm -hmm. compared to some other countries it is bordered by saudi arabia to the north the red sea to the west the gulf of aden and the gafori channel to the south and oman to the east it actually encompasses more than 200 islands which i didn't realize i i honestly thought it was just a little country i didn't i really didn't know anything i literally knew nothing about it um i didn't realize that there were islands no it's characterized as a failed state with a high ne necessity of transformation um its official stated capital is Sanaa, but the city has been under rebel control since February 2015, and it's various transitional councils in various places, so it's in the midst of the civil war. It belongs to the least developed country group and severe structural impediments to sustainable development. In 2019, the United Nations reported that Yemen is the country with the most people in need of humanitarian aid about two, uh, 24 million people out of 28.5 million people 85 percent of its population are in need of humanitarian aid as of 2020 the country is placed highest in the fragile state index and the second worst in global hunger index only to be sent uh, only to be surpassed by the central african republic why Chandler Bing wanted to move here or thought it was funny as a joke that he was going to move to Yemen became worse and worse as I read it. Um, I told you they were terrible people. <laughs> it is a member of the Arab League, UN, Non-Aligned Movement, and the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Uh, traditionally Muslim, and uh, there is a tiny Jewish community, and it actually has an Anglican church, which apparently is super rare. Um Traditionally, Yemen men wear long robes or a striped shirt, a skirt with a curved dagger in the front attached to a decorative belt. Um, I'm not going to try and pronounce the name of this dagger, but they are unsheathed and brandished above their head when dancing. Quet is the most popular drug in Yemen with similar effects to amphetamines, but much like it's a traditional herbal drug. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So they chew it, the leaves, um, usually starting after lunch. And... They're chewed like tobacco. You like you crush them up and store them in your cheek. It is a stimulant. So chewers without religious scruples often wash it down with whiskey in order to sleep. Jambia. Is that the name? Is that how you think that knife is pronounced? Yeah, I just looked it up on, okay. on Wikipedia. Um, it has a rapidly growing population. 23 million people are under the age of 15. Hmm. And it's facing a huge water crisis. There's not much um, water anymore there. It's drying up wells in the capital might run dry very shortly aden at the southwest of yemen was colonized by britain in the 19th century <laughs> yay british colonial good job britain um and at one point it was actually the third busiest port in the world after new york and liverpool hmm. british forces pulled out in 1967 after civil wars started <laughs> i'm going to tell you one last bit about yemen which is about the city of shabam which Adam should Google right now while I tell you guys about it. It's known as the Manhattan of the desert. 
It consists of some 500 mud-built tower houses resembling skyscrapers, some as many as 11 stories high. It is um, a United, uh, it's a World Heritage Site, and it is like, if you, um, it probably will be what I use as the cover art on here because it's an amazing looking city. And it was originally begun construction in 300 AD, but mostly what you're looking at now is built uh, from 1532 onwards. A few fragments remain from the earliest constructions, including a mosque that was built in nine, uh, 904 and a castle built in 1220. Um, however, they are made of mud and there was a devastating flood in 1532, which swept the region, crippling the foundations of many of the ancient towers. It is one of the earliest and most perfect examples of rigorous planning based on the principle of vertical construction. It took Western world a lot longer to realize that building up is a better use of space than building out. Credited as the home of the first high-rise apartment buildings, it's a symbol for the rise and resilience of Middle Eastern culture in the desolation of surrounding desert. Writing in The Guardian, author Bethan Kernan, Kernan? describes the way in which um, the buildings are used. The city's 3,000 residents still largely follow the traditional living pattern. Some, within some cases, up to 14 family members in the same tower. Animals and tools are kept on the ground floor. Food is stored on the second floor. Elderly people live on the third and third floor. The fourth is used for entertaining, and the higher levels are occupied by more nimble families with childless newlyweds on the roof. Um, it's just really cool. Yeah, it's a cool, uh, really cool looking city. They're all made of mud. It's in a beautiful landscape too. Yeah, it's spectacular. It's to me such a shame that Yemen is in the situation that it's in. Mm. Um, at it's, one point, it obviously was at the forefront of technology, mm -hmm. prosperity. I mean, even not that long ago, not to say that British colonialism is the greatest thing on the planet, but to have one at the third largest port would have brought a huge amount of wealth to the country. Yes. And for now it to be ravaged with civil war and the highest cases of second highest cases of famine in the globe. Devastating. It's pretty horrific. Mm. And something I just should not have been ignorant about. Woefully unaware. I there was a lot of stuff doing this region, and maybe that's why it's good that we did this where we picked some regions that we would never have normally mm. looked at. Yeah. Because I really educated myself on some stuff that 100% I should have known about. Yeah. So quick bit on Ethiopia before we go and Ethiopia's version of Sheba. Um, it's uh, immortalized in the Ethiopian holy book, which is why I want to kind of get a bit more in because I didn't even realize they had kind of their own holy book. Uh, the Kebra. Nagast, where they talk about the queen's hairy hooves, her trip to Solomon and her seduction. And in this version, however, it goes a little further, which is her giving birth to Solomon's son. Um, and the story goes on that years later, he traveled back to Jerusalem to see his father, who greeted him with joy and invited him to remain there to rule after his death. But he refused, his name, but the son's name was Menelik, refused and decided to return home. Under the cover of darkness, he left the city, taking with him its most precious relic. And yeah, guess what that is? No. The Ark of the Covenant. Oh, okay. He took it back to Askam, 
where it still resides today, and especially built treasury in the courtyard of St. Mary's Church. Cool. Just in case you guys were wondering. Where the Ark of the Covenant. Where the Ark of the Covenant is. Covenant. Um, it's in Yemen. It's in Yemen. No, it's not. It's in Ethiopia. It's in Ethiopia. It's moved. Uh, in St. Mary's Church in Akasam. And it's guarded by a few monks. Um, by the way, Ethiopia believe in all of this. And I'm really not going to go. But they believe in it so much that it is even enshrined in the Ethiopian constitution of 1955. Mm. That the Queen of Sheba is the mother of the nation. That's cool. So this is obviously a country that believes in the Queen of Sheba very, very much. And I have just glossed over it in two and a half minutes and given all the credit to Yemen. We'll talk about it again. But Yemen was what I was wanting to talk about. Yeah. It was just so, a, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was Yemen. Cool. Thanks for that. Uh, you learned stuff. I did. I learned so much stuff. Did you feel woefully ignorant like I did? Yes, I did. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, it right? It was. It was a little bit embarrassing. Not, Guys, not super proud of that. No, and actually it brings us on to something that we're talking about. We've got a few things, I think. We've got next week's episode, I think, already sorted. Oh, my God, yeah, I think we do. Which is quite exciting for us. Yeah. I think Adam's going to do divination. Yeah. And I might do the oracles. Okay. W which ones? Like the, uh, we'll get the, into the, it next the, week. The Greek ones? Like the Greek ones, yeah. Um, so I might do that. Cool. Um, so although, as you know, here, we, it <laughs> can always change. change. Uh, so I think we're going to get back into that. Um, but guys, we're realizing that we're moving more into education and less into legendary tales. Yeah. Uh, not on purpose. No. It's just sort of the way that it went. But if you have thoughts on that, let yeah, us know. Yeah, if you want us to, if you want us to, to go back to doing the legendary stuff, we're more than happy to do that. We've just sort of. And we of, will go back to it when it. I, 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 I'm not sure. When it when the switch happened, but it just sort of seemed we we both got very interested in talking about the the historical people, legends. yeah, the the legends that were bit that, you know. Well, I mean, we did start the podcast with the idea that we would be researching the legends and then sort of trying to do the historical tie-ins, but more and more we've been doing the historical stuff with the legendary tie-ins. So yeah, we sort of just yeah switched our emphasis a little yeah. bit. It's interesting because I I've been going back doing the cover art and our one of our third or fourth episode, we were like, we really need to do an episode that was based in history. And, and then we because just, we hadn't done one. Yeah, we did pivot pretty hard, but yeah. And we've loved it, but please let us know what you guys are thinking. Yeah, if you, um, and if you want us to do an episode on something specific, let us know yeah. too, because we are so enjoying learning new things. Yeah. Just throw us a comment. Yeah. It was really great talking to you as always. We will see you next week. Yeah. I don't know that we have a mini side this week. I don't think we do. No. Um, but if we do a batch episode, Batch recording, we might. Yeah, you might find a mini so yeah. throws yourself on. All right, talk to you later. Bye. Bye.